0: Well, thank you for once again joining me. I'm your host, Randy Duncan, and we are continuing in our exploration of the book of Genesis. In the last episode, we covered the death and burial of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And we also spent some time discussing Abraham's purchase of a tomb in which to bury Sarah, which was the first piece of real estate purchased after Abraham's call. Now, the last chapter, chapter 23, was one of the shortest chapters in the book of Genesis. But now, we're going to begin chapter 24, which is the longest chapter in Genesis. 67 verses in this chapter. And so, we're going to take a couple of episodes to get through them all. But what do you think is the subject of the longest chapter in the book of Genesis? Creation? The fall? The flood? Maybe sin? No. The longest chapter in the book of Genesis is about a marriage which should give us a clue as to how important marriage is in Scripture. And in fact, if you remember, a wedding, a marriage, is where Jesus performed his first miracle. Now the first 11 chapters in Genesis dealt with four great events, creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And the rest of Genesis deals with four great individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And as I mentioned in the last episode, Abraham's story in the Bible is almost complete at this point. And now that he has taken care of Sarah after her death, he now turns his attention to his son Isaac. And what we're going to see is this transfer of biblical focus from Abraham to his son Isaac. And so with that, let's jump right in. Verses 1-4 through read, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, as I mentioned, Abraham is nearing the end of his life at this point, and so he now focuses on obtaining a bride for Isaac. So he commissions his chief servant to go and secure a bride for Isaac. Now one thing you'll notice as we read through this entire scene is that the sermon is never even named. Now many commentators assume that this servant is perhaps Eliezer, who was mentioned back in chapter 15. And if you remember, Eliezer was Abraham's chief servant and was set to inherit everything that Abraham had if Abraham would have remained childless. He was entrusted with considerable power and responsibility. And Abraham would have sent only his most trusted servant on a mission as crucial as this one. So Abraham makes his servant swear that he will not take a wife for Isaac from among the Canaanites, which is the land in which he was living, but that he would go and find a wife from Abraham's homeland. He makes him swear that he will find a wife for Isaac back in the land of his birth and not from among the corrupt Canaanites who inhabited the land in which he was currently living. Now, there's this strange act where Abraham tells his servant, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord. And then he goes on. And that definitely sounds strange to us. I mean, in our time, agreements or Oaths are performed with the signing of a contract, or even placing one hand on a Bible and raising the other, just like is done in a courtroom, or even in past generations. Many times, it required just a simple handshake between honorable men. And honestly, it's too bad that's no longer good enough. But what is this strange act of placing your hand under another style about? Well, there appears to be actually no real consensus on exactly what's going on here. But the one thing that is unanimous amongst interpreters is that the, quote, thigh here is actually a euphemism for the genitals. The reason for this is what's uncertain. However, there are a couple of reasonable interpretations. First, it may be that this was a reference to circumcision. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant, and so it would invoke the power or presence of God as the guarantor of the oath. And so this gesture would have been meaningless to an uncircumcised person. Another possibility is that this gesture was taken because the oath had to do with Abraham's posterity, and so the, quote, thigh was the seat of procreative power. But either way, I have to admit, I would much prefer to just look a person in the eye and just shake their hand. Verses 5-9 through read, But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And you may not realize it yet, but these are the last recorded words of Abraham in scripture. And in them, Abraham is expressing his faith in God, that God would work things out through his divine providence. And this once again demonstrates Just how far Abraham has come in his faith, where in the beginning he expressed doubt, asking God how he was going to do things and how can these things be. And then later, rather than trusting God, remember, Abraham tries to engineer his own solutions with other women, with other kings and pharaohs. But at this point, Abraham's matured in his faith and and so he's learned to trust in God's supernatural provision to fulfill his promise. But the servant asked Abraham, what if the woman is unwilling to follow me back to this land? In other words, what what if she doesn't want to come? Am I then to come back and take Isaac to her land? And Abraham's response here is firm and it's direct. Absolutely not. And you can almost hear it in Abraham's voice. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances is Isaac to leave this land. Canaan is the promised land, and Isaac, the one God will work through to fulfill his promise, must remain there. Abraham remains faithful to God's call to leave his homeland behind, and now he's making sure that his descendants do the same. You see, God's promise contained two elements descendants and a national territory, the promised land. Isaac represented both of those. He symbolized, just by his person and his presence in the land, the fulfillment of both of those promises. And incidentally, Isaac is the only one of the three patriarchs that never left the promised land. Then Abraham tells his servant that if the woman is unwilling to follow him back, then he would be free from his oath. The Hebrew meaning is that he would be free from any further obligation. Abraham has faith in God, but maybe not so much in people. The woman will have to make a choice, and if she chooses not to come, then... She's unworthy. Verses 10 and 11. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So Abraham's most trusted servant takes ten of his camels. Now these probably served a few different purposes. One, To make an impression on the woman and her family. I mean, Abraham was wealthy and so he sends a sample of his wealth. But secondly, simply the practical purpose of providing the transportation for the bride and perhaps her entourage on their return trip. But thirdly, and as we'll see when we get to that point, these ten camels also set the stage for the testing of Rebekah. So the servant sets off from Mesopotamia to the town of Nahor. And when he arrives... He makes the camels kneel down by the well of water outside of the city gates. Now it was normal that when a stranger would arrive at a city, he would head to the public wells and would ask permission to replenish his supply of water. And at the same time, that was a good place to gather information about the city because it was a common meeting place for people of the community. But Abraham's servant was intentional as to when he came to the well. Notice that it says he came to the well at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Ah, nicely played. You see, in our day when men wanna meet women, where do they go? Well, some head to the club, some hang out in bars or some on social media. Some are looking for a nice church woman. But in that day, when the chores had been completed and the sun was setting and the heat of the day had passed, the young women whose chore it was to draw water They would head for the well, and it was also a place they could spend some time in just leisurely conversation, catching up, see what's going on, etc. If you remember the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, remember that she came out to the well at noon, not at the end of the day. She did that because she was a social outcast. But typically, the women went to draw water in the evening after the intense heat of the day. Well, guess what? Abraham's servant knew this. He was well aware of this, and so he strategically arrives at the well at this time. Verses 12-14 read, And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink." and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So when he prays for God to grant him good fortune, in the Hebrew, what it actually means is to make it occur. He's not necessarily praying for a miracle. What he's praying for is that the criteria that he has established himself in finding a suitable woman might be in accordance with God's will and that it would be effective in finding the right woman. Now you may not have realized this, but Abraham's servant here is actually the first person that scripture records as praying for personal guidance at a critical moment. This is both interesting and important. I mean, it's interesting because it's a prayer that's spontaneous. It's From the heart, with no formality. But it's also interesting that the first recorded prayer of this sort in the Bible involves a person praying on behalf of another person. Abraham's servant here, he's praying for the welfare of Abraham and Isaac. Not just uttering some laundry list of things he wants God to do for him personally. No, he's praying for the welfare of others. And this prayer is also important because it demonstrates individual direct contact with God. That's not associated with the community as a whole, and it's not part of a religious ceremony. The servant has an understanding that God is approachable for an individual, and that a person doesn't need to go through some sort of religious intermediary on their behalf. Anyone can talk to God. I mean, that's what prayer is. Talking to God. Jesus taught us in Matthew 5 that when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And this is exactly what Abraham's servant does here. He just pours out his heart to God, and he is asking for God to somehow confirm his choice in a bride for Isaac. And so he says, Let the young woman who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And we read now in verses 15-21 through 21 how his initial encounter goes. Verse 15 begins, And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a virgin whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew water for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So before he even finishes speaking, Rebecca shows up. How about God's timing on this one? Now it mentions who Rebecca's parents are simply to demonstrate that she was not the granddaughter of a concubine and so was actually just a remark to her higher social status. But let's take a closer look at exactly what's going on here. Rebecca arrives at the well and the servant asked her to please give me a little water to drink and Rebecca does so. But then what does she do? It tells us that when she had finished giving him a drink she said I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough ran again to the well to draw water and she drew water for all his camels. Now you might be thinking, oh, okay, so she gave his camel some water too. That was nice. In fact, that was a little more than he asked for. But know this. A camel would need to drink about 25 gallons of water to rehydrate. Now, they can drink this amount of water in about 10 minutes. I mean, camels can drink up to 50 gallons at a time, but even if they only drank 25 gallons, it would have taken about 10 minutes for each camel. Oh, and remember... There wasn't just one camel, there were 10 camels, which means Rebecca would have to draw about 250 gallons of water, and it would have taken over an hour and a half for them to drink this much water. Now, the ancient jars used for drawing water, they usually held no more than about three gallons of water. In other words, Rebecca's offer to water 10 camels required in the neighborhood of 80 to 100 drawings of water, and also... Keep in mind that water weighs eight pounds per gallon, which means for 250 gallons, Rebecca is about to lift and carry 2,000 pounds of water. That's one ton of water. So let's make sure we have the right picture in mind here. And this was at the end of the day, after all the other chores had been completed. And so this offer from Rebecca is definitely an extraordinary offer. You see, The criteria that Abraham's servant established for a wife for Isaac were aspects of nobility of character. And it tells us that Rebecca was beautiful, but in that society, the ideal wife needed to be hospitable to strangers, kind to animals, and willing to give of herself to others. And so the test that he set up here was rather difficult and required all of those very character traits. It was a test that would reveal a person's kindness, their hospitality, their willingness to help a stranger. And so, to volunteer to do what she did required far more than just being willing to give a stranger a drink of water. She made the offer knowing full well what all was involved and how much work it required. You know, when you meet someone who might potentially want something from you, whether it's in a business dealing, a relationship, or whatever you're going to see the very best of them. You're going to see the best they have to offer. They're going to put their best foot forward. And so it's sometimes difficult to assess their true character. But if you want to learn someone's genuine character, watch how they treat others. Specifically, how they treat other people who can offer them nothing in return. Watch how they treat a stranger. And so Rebecca's very generous offer here far exceeded what the servant actually requested. And the servant just watches her. He observes in silence to see what she will do. And as he watches, what does he see? It tells us how Rebecca, quote, quickly emptied the water and she ran again to the well to draw water for the camels. In other words, her performance probably surpassed anything the servant could have expected. Last verses that we'll cover in this episode, 22 through 28, read, When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels, and said, "'Please tell me whose daughter you are. "'Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night?' And she said to him, "'I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor.' And she added, "'We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night.' The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, "'Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, "'who has not forsaken his steadfast love.' and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Well, needless to say, the servant must have been very impressed by what he saw because he takes out a gold ring and gold bracelets and he gives them to Rebecca. Now this was no doubt to reward her for her hospitality but also to make an impression on her and her family. The servant then asks if there's room in her father's house for them to stay, and once again, Rebecca goes above and beyond the call of duty. She tells him that they have plenty of room for them, as well as plenty of straw and feed for their animals. But what does the servant do next? He bows his head and thanks God. He realizes that he didn't just accidentally happen to cross paths with a woman like Rebecca. He understands that God was involved, and he pauses to give thanks. So not only did the servant pray before any of this took place, he also stopped and offered up prayers of thanksgiving and gratitude after the fact. You know, any of us can petition God and pray for the things we want God to do for us. We all have our lists, and it seems like often that's exactly what we do. And there isn't anything inherently wrong with that, but when God answers our prayers in the ways that we would like, do we give him thanks? Do we remember to routinely express our thanksgiving and gratitude for all of the many blessings that he has provided? Well, this servant of Abraham certainly did. He prayed before and he gave thanks afterwards. And remember, none of this is even about him. It was about Abraham and Isaac. Now, we'll wrap up this scene in the next episode. But until then, I pray that you keep in mind all of the many ways God has so richly blessed us. And that you remember to thank him and to lift up to him all praise and honor and glory. And until next time, God bless.